All right, so as we're getting ready, we're diving into this series, True-ish, there's a, a few different statements that we began to kind of work through, and we spent the last two weeks working through those, and this morning, what I want us to do, I just wanted you to think about, there's, there's some facts about everyday items that you might not know. And so here's the first one, and I want you, anybody to raise your hand if you knew this. Originally, high heels were created for men. Anybody know that? So it started back in the 10th century where men would ride horses and they realized if they had a heel on their shoe, they could stay in the stirrups better of riding a horse. And so men, high heels were, were men's shoes. Even up till the 17th century in Europe when, when it became a, a, fabu- uh, a fashion trend for women, up to that point, men and women were wearing high heel shoes until finally they fell out of out of uh, fashion for men. And I think most men in the room will be very grateful that that's the case. Uh, so high heels, I don't, never wore them, but they were created originally for men. Here's the next thing. I don't know if you have ever wondered of what the blob on the piece on your toothbrush when you push your toothpaste is called. It actually has a name. It's called a nurdle, nurble. All right, so a nurble. That's what it is. There's actually been a lawsuit so they could claim the name. So toothpaste actually owns the name Nurble. When you squirt it on your toothbrush, if you've ever been curious of what it is, it's a Nurble, all right? I've never wondered what to call it, but if you have, if you're weirder than me, there you go. All right, next one is the very first webcam was created for something very, very significant. I mean, we use webcams all the time, like we do Skype and Zoom and FaceTime and all these other things. The first webcam was created in 1993 to check a coffee pot. Because some people were working and they got tired of getting up during their break and going to get coffee and the coffee pot being empty. So they decided it would be a good idea to set up a webcam in the room where the coffee pot was so they didn't have to get up and find an empty coffee pot. When they were thirsty for coffee, they could look at the webcam. If there was coffee, they would know, okay, it's time to go. Here's the next one. I found this one bizarre. Bubble wrap. Anybody a fan of bubble wrap? I know I am. Like, it doesn't matter how old you get. When you get some bubble wrap, it's still exciting to play with. Did you know bubble wrap was originally created to be a textured wallpaper? (laughs) Who could have seen that going terribly? But there's two engineers who decided they were going to glue together two two, uh, shower curtains together to make a textured wallpaper. Imagine that. It didn't take off. And so they decided they remarketed it to try to be insulation for chicken houses and greenhouses. That didn't work. And then finally, in 1960, IBM was sending some servers and some processors, and they needed something to keep them safe. And then the phenomenon of bubble wrap started. Here's the final one. The computer mouse was originally called a turtle. Right? Now, now you can't unsee that, right? I mean, you think about it with the mouse, like you kind of get it, right? It's, it's, it's small, it moves quickly. <laughs> Originally, it had like a cord that connected to the computer, like kind of like a tail. But like when it was first created, it was called a turtle because it had the hard shell and it had all the moving parts under the bottom. And so that was how it was first created. Now, here's the thing. Like there's a lot of things in life like that, like we don't actually think a lot about. We don't think a lot about the origins of them. We don't think a lot about it. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter when we grab our mouse on our computer, whether it was originally called a turtle. It doesn't really matter when we're having a stress relieving time of popping bubble wrap, that it was originally created to be wallpaper. I mean, it doesn't really even matter when we're on a Skype call that it was originally created to like check a coffee pot. However, when it comes to things of faith, 
We can't operate on that same idea. Where it doesn't really matter, we don't even try to think through some of these things. And so that's what we've been doing in this series. We've been diving through topics like, can I be a Christian without going to church? We talked about that, like, this idea that God helps those who help themselves. And we started walking through these statements. And today, it might be the most common one of these true-ish statements that we know. And it's this, only God can judge me. And this is the one. Raise your hand if you've ever heard someone say this. Raise your hand if you've ever said it. Okay. And so we begin, like, this is a statement that's really, really popular. And, you know, anytime I hear this statement, there's, there's a few things that go into my mind. One is, like, don't put that as a tattoo. Don't do that. Don't do it. And I've seen people with tons of tattoos that, that have this. Or, or maybe you'll see it as a meme or you see a T-shirt. Like, this is a statement that has become so incredibly popular. When I was in university, one of my professors said that he believes that the most quoted Bible verse has moved from John 3.16, which is one of the most beautiful declarations of the gospel, to Matthew 7.1, where it says, don't judge or you too will be judged. And so this statement, it became really popular back in 1999 from this guy. You know who this is? This is Tupac, right? In 1999, he wrote a song that, well... He actually died in 1996, but in 1999, the song that he wrote called Only God Can Judge Me was released. And this is where it became real popular. Constantly throughout that song, it just says, only God can judge me, only God can judge me, only God can judge me. I listened to about 5% of that song this week, and I was like, somebody needs to judge you. Like, it was, it was terrible. Not just, like, music-wise, like, that was fine. Just lyrically, it was, I was like, I can't listen to this anymore. And so, look, as we go, as you think about this, though, let me just ask you a question. No offense to Tupac. Never thought I'd say that in a sermon. Uh, no offense to Tupac, but is this really who we want defining our worldview? Is this who we really want forming our, our theology? Is this really what we want, the person that we want, like forming who we are and what we believe to be true in life? Or should we look to the Bible? And should we allow that to be the guiding factor of our lives? Should we allow that to be the thing that truly guides the way that we live or truly guides the way that we, that we function, the way that we operate? Should we let the Bible be the thing that guides our theology? I think that's a better place than turning to Tupac. And so if you have your Bibles, flip to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to walk through Matthew 7, 1 through 5, where Jesus talks about judging. We're going to get there in just a second. But as you're turning there, I just want to like set the ground, some of the groundwork for us together is this. It is true that God will be the ultimate judge. When we look through the pages of scripture, we see that God is going to be judged. At the end of the world, he is going to be judge. However, when we begin to start thinking about this, when we say only God can judge me, or when we hear people saying only God can judge me, it's usually someone who like, is really enjoying their sin, right? It's usually someone who's like, well, I'm going to do what I want because only God can judge me. And so they say this statement, and I begin to wonder, like, how is that a good thing? How is, it a good, how is it possibly a good thing that only God can judge you when it's this lifestyle of sin that you're just wanting to, to continue to enjoy? And so here's the question that we're going to wrestle with today is at the end of the day, do you really want God to be the only one who judges you? That's what we're going to wrestle with. At the end of the day, 
Do we really want there to be no judgment in our lives until we meet that, the final judgment? At the end of the day, do we really want no one in the world to judge us besides God? Because I'll be true with my life. Man, I've, I, I can think of some moments where I had some friends who came alongside me and were like, Luke, I see your life heading in this direction, and you better be careful because that's not heading in a good way. And I just think about that now, and I praise the Lord that these guys, these people had the courage to come and judge me, to call me out before my life got too far gone, where there was some unreversible damage that took place. And I am just grateful for those people. I'm grateful for those moments. And, and we all need those moments in our lives, right? And so do we really want no one to say anything about us when our lives are beginning to veer off course, heading in a terrible, disastrous situation? Do we really just want to say, hey, only God can judge me. Let me ruin my life into the ditch. Let me ruin my life. Let me wreck my life. Is that really, really what we want? As a people, is that what we want? And so as we get ready to, to dive into the text, I would just want to acknowledge that Jesus is being a little nuanced as he's diving into Matthew chapter 7. And he's talking about don't judge or you too will be judged. Here's the fact is Jesus isn't saying that we should not make judgments. Because here's the reality. We make judgments every single day, right? Like you made a judgment this morning not to snooze your alarm 47 times in this church. You made the judgment to get up. You made the judgment when you got out of bed to smell your pits and see if you needed a shower. Like some of you made a judgment, no, I think I'm good, or yes, I think I probably should shower. You made that judgment. Every single one of you made the judgment this morning not to walk in front of traffic. If not, you wouldn't be here, okay? So these are judgments that we've made. Some of you have made the judgments to drink tea instead of coffee. Like, not a bad thing, not wrong. Like, it's just a judgment that we make. So we make judgments all the time in life, and most of the time, they're, they're neutral or they're good, especially the person sitting next to you thinks it's a really good thing that you decided to shower this morning. That was a good judgment call. But as we start thinking about, Jesus isn't saying like making judgments is, is, is bad. Like it's not what he's talking about. It's something that we do every single day. And so as we dive into talking about having judging one another. I just want to define what I mean when we talk about judging, what we mean as a church, and what I think Jesus is talking about as when he talks about judgment. And so one of the things that we should never do, and this is what we're going to see in the teaching of Jesus, is we should never have one of these moments where we just point out someone's sin and just walk away. That's what Jesus is speaking against. We should never just point out like, you're a terrible human being, you're a horrible thing, you're doing X, Y, and Z wrong, see you later. That's not what Jesus is talking about. No, what Jesus wants us to do and what, what we should do in our judgment is like if we see someone having some issues in their lives, we come alongside each other. And be like, hey, I see this going on. Let's, let's work through this together. Let's deal with this with one another. Let's see if we can help each other. There's a reason I wanted to put this sermon after the sermon last week where we talked about encouraging one another, motivating one another, because this is what we do. And so here's what we're going to see is judgment brings with it discipleship. This is what we want. When we judge people, the goal is never just to point out a sin in someone and walk away. The goal is out of love because we care deeply for these people. We want to help disciple them. We want to help them become more like, the, like Jesus. We want to help them to grow and to become the person that Jesus wants them to be. And this is a really important context for the church because Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he speaks about this a little bit. He talks about some people who are doing some terrible things in the church in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes this. He says, 
sorry, First uh, Corinthians five verse twelve. Jesus or Paul writes, "It is not my responsibility to judge those outside of the church to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning." So, if we come to church, if we are a body of believers, man, we are signing up to to be judged. We are signing up for discipleship. We are signing up. We are being involved in this lifestyle of walking alongside one another to help one another walk the way of Jesus. Our goal isn't to walk around and see the sinful people on the street and say, hey, look how terrible they are. That's not our goal. But our goal is as a body of believers is to have discipleship, to walk with one another. And so I want us to dive in to what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 7. I love the way that the message version puts verses one and two. It says this. It says, don't pick on people, jump on their faults, criticize their failures, unless, of course, you want the same, same treatment. A critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. And I love that idea of boomeranging because soccer balls don't do that. Rugby balls don't do that. Frisbees don't even do that, unless it's really windy. No, but this is what a boomerang does. This is what this idea of what, come, what goes around, comes around. This week, I was actually reading an article about a guy in Kentucky. So he's in the States, and of course it was in Kentucky. He ends up, he sued himself because he hit himself in the face with a boomerang. <laughs> he threw the boomerang, came back, hit himself. He sued himself and won. But because of his insurance that he had, the insurance company had to pay him $300,000. Now, there's been some speculation of whether or not this is true or not. But the reality is, this is what boomerangs do, right? They come back around. And if you're stupid enough to throw a boomerang and can do it well enough that it's going to come back and hit you in the face, you should probably be prepared. But anyway, you know, this, that, this is that. But, but the Bible is full of boomerang principles. The Bible talks about if you walk with the wise, you're going to become wise. If you refresh one another, you too will be refreshed. If you are generous, it will be given generously to you. And so the Bible is full of these boomeranging principles. And Jesus is saying one of those principles, one of those things that has a way of boomeranging is a judgmental spirit. And so the words of Jesus, here's what he's talking about when he says, do not judge. here's Here's the actual definition. It's to condemn based on opinion. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying to judge is to condemn based on an opinion. Jesus isn't saying don't make moral observations. Jesus isn't saying, hey, don't choose right and wrong. Jesus isn't saying, hey, let them do whatever they want to do because, you know, that's up to them. Like, no, he's not saying that. He's saying don't judge, don't condemn just based on opinion. So what Jesus is getting at here is he's getting at the heart. He's dealing, he's like, this is the heart issue. Here's what truly matters here. And so what Jesus is saying, I want to make sure it's clear. He's not saying that we don't say to people who we love, who we care about, when we see their life heading in a danger area, he's not saying, hey, don't say anything to them. No, what he's saying is, hey, I want you to make sure that your, that your heart is right. I want to make sure that this isn't just some opinion that you're forming. I want to make sure that this isn't just some, some thing that you're angry at of this person or, or you, they've upset you and so you want to pick out these things. You want to jump on their faults. You want to do that. That's what Jesus is speaking against. He's not saying don't speak the truth to someone in love. 
It's what we need to do because here's the reality. Is truth without love is brutal, but love without truth really isn't love at all. Think about this. You, we, raise your hand if you have had someone who has told you the truth in an ab, without love in an absolutely brutal way. Guilty as charged, right? All of us have had that. It's brutal. But man, it is not love at all if we're not willing to speak the truth to people. So this is what Jesus is getting at. It's like when we have these moments of judgment, we're not doing it brutally. We're not doing it out of a, a terrible attitude. We're doing it out of deep-seated love for this person and for their lives and out of desire to see them be in right relationship with God. I'm going to date myself just a little bit. Uh, when I was 13, I had, a, uh, I had a MySpace page. Anybody else have a MySpace page? They were awesome, okay? Like, and here's the thing, like, MySpace pages had tons of different things, cool, cool functions that they had, but one of the top functions is they had the top eight friends. So you could go and you could, like, you could rate your friends. What could go wrong there? And so you could go and you would put your top eight friends, and I just remember there was a few times that I had some crushes on a girl, and I would, like, bump her up on my friends list just to see what would happen, like, was, rather than just asking straight up, like, hey, what's the story here? And they're like, let me put you on my friends list and see what See what the reaction is. See if, you, see if you reciprocate by putting me on your top 10 friend list. But other than that, like you could put like skins on your, your page so you could have like sports themes or whatever kind of themes. But there was this other thing that you could do is you could, uh, you could do a survey and you could like link it into your MySpace page. And so when people would go to your MySpace page, there'd be like 300 questions to get to know you. And like I was 13, I had time to answer 300 pointless questions on MySpace. And so anyway, one of the questions though, I remember this very vividly, one of the questions was, are you religious? And so I put in big capital letters, I am a Christian. I was very proud of it, right? I, which is good, good to be proud of it. And then some of the other questions was like, do you do drugs? Or like, have you wanted to kill someone recently? Or some of these other like really terrible questions. And have you been arrested? And just because I wanted people to know how Christian I was, I wanted people to know how spiritual I was, not only did I answer those questions, but I put a little profanity in front of my answer. That'll show them how Christian I am, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a problem. But I remember a few, a few months later, we had a family computer, which was the worst, but we had a family computer and I accidentally left my MySpace page up. And my mom found my MySpace page and she got to see my top eight friends and all that other random stuff that was on my MySpace page. But she also found the survey. And she started reading through the survey and, and like she calls me into the living room and we, we sit down and we have a talk. Whenever I got called into the living room, I had to sit down. I knew this wasn't gonna be a good, this wasn't gonna be a good conversation. And so my mom's like, hey Luke, I, I saw your MySpace page. And I just remember thinking, oh, crap. And she just goes on and she's like, hey, I saw that you said you're a Christian and that's awesome. But I also saw some of the other answers that you gave. And she didn't perfectly quote James 3.10 to me, but she did say, just remember, salt water can't come out of a, or, or clean water can't come out of a salt, salt spring. Cursing and praising God should not come from the same lips. And that was it. That was the end of the conversation. And I just remember that moment and how grateful I am because there were some things in my life I was saying I was a Christian, but the life that I was living, it did not line up 
with what I was saying I was. I might have wanted to shout really loudly that I was a Christian, but the way that I was living did not line up. And I'm grateful for that conversation because it put me on a path of true repentance. It put me on a path to actually start checking my life to see, is it actually looking the way that I think it's supposed to look? And I think back to that conversation and I am grateful that my mom judged me. I am grateful that she's, she called me out and she walked with me through that. And the truth is still now in my life, there's about four people that I love asking questions to, but I hate asking questions to them because I know they're going to tell me the truth. Like I enjoy asking people questions sometimes when I know they're going to give me all the good answers, and, but there are about a handful of people that I know I, if I ask a question, they're going to tell me the truth. And man, we need, we need those people. And so here's what Jesus, he's getting at for us. He wants to make sure when we go in this moment, when we have these moments where we, we feel judgmental or we want to pass judgment on someone, he's saying, hey, first thing you need to do is you need to check your heart. Make sure you examine your motives. Make sure that there's no holier-than-thou attitude. And so here's the first really lesson that Jesus is telling. If we're going to do this, when we do this for one another, is we need to examine our motives. Look at verse 3, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this. He says, And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? So the question really that Jesus is asking us is why? This is the first question we got to deal with. This is the first question we have to wrestle with is why? Why are we condemning them? What is causing us to look at the speck in their eyes? What is it about them that, that is dealing, that is that's causing us to be judgmental? And so Jesus wants to make sure we're doing some self-inventory first. So we're asking this question is why? So what is it in you, not in them, that is making you judgmental? Because here's what I've learned in my own life. It's oftentimes when I'm the most judgmental towards other people, it's because I, it's a lack of love that I have for, for those people or a lack of love that I have for God. And here's the thing. This is what I've began to see. And I have this motto in my life. One of the things, this mission in my life is I want to love people. I want to love people the way that God loves people. And but when I when I start to see this in me, when I start to feel judgmental, there should be these questions that begin to arise is, is why? What is it in them? What is it in me that is causing me to be judgmental? So this week I was I was working on this sermon and, and I was doing one of my devos. I was doing my morning devotion, and my morning devotion was about loving people. How, how fitting, right? And so I'm like going through this devotion and they're talking about like, you know, when you view people. Do you view them as an inconvenience, as a frustration, or are you truly loving people? And I was like kind of wrestling with that, and I was thinking about that, and it was one of those moments I was like, okay, I think I've got this one down pat. Like, I feel like I'm pretty good at that. Like, I love people deeply. I enjoy spending time with people. Like, that's usually one of my bigger problems is I want to spend more time with people than actually working, and, and like, I just love being around people. And so I was thinking to myself, like, okay, I feel like I got this one down pat. And it was one of my busy days last week, and so I was leaving my house a little early. I wanted to get to church early to get to work. And so I get here, and I'm walking in, and I make it right about right behind Stephen's head, and I, there's a guy who I bump into. And as soon as I see him, I think to myself, oh, man, I don't want to talk to you. I know you're going to want to talk, 
I know you're going to want to tell me all your stories. I know you're going to want to do this. Like, yo, man, I don't really have time for this. Like, I've tried to get out of my house early. I don't want to do this. And so I go and shake his hand. Hey, man, how's it going? And all the while, I'm just thinking, this is such an inconvenience for me. I don't have time for this. And though I hear him talk, and finally, like after about 10 minutes, like, hey, man, sorry, gotta go. And I make my way upstairs. And then I remember this devotion. Luke, you do a really good job of that. It's almost like God was replaying my own thoughts in my head. I think you've got this down pat. You're doing really well. And I'm like, okay, eh, no. It was a lack of love, right? It was a lack of love for this person. It was a lack of love that was exposing this, this mindset and this heart in me. I was judging him. I was getting upset because of the things that he was complaining about. Why? Because I lacked love for that person. And so when we feel judgmental towards someone, we need to examine ourselves and see, is there a lack of love in me? Is there something in me that is making me want to be judgmental to them? So here's what we need to do first. We need to be mirror people, not magnifying glass people. We need to be people who are willing to look in the mirror first before we pick up the magnifying glass to stare at someone else's issues. We need to be willing to look at us and see, is there anything that is going on in me? Is there anything wrong with me that is causing me to have this attitude towards you? So Jesus is saying, hey, before, before you, you write someone off, before you do an, I don't know if people like angry tweet anymore, but before you do an angry tweet, before you do like a cryptic message to someone, before you do any of those things, pick up the mirror and see is there anything going on in you that is causing you to be this way? And so one of these moments is what should end up happening for us when we start feeling this attitude of, of superiority. This is what Jesus is speaking against. It's this attitude of, of thinking that we know or we are better than someone else. If I start having that moment, when I start thinking that my time is more valuable than this guy's time, there should be something, there should be a self-assessment that begins, begins going on in me. It's like, what is it in me? What is wrong? What is, what's going on in my own heart? And so just a moment of honesty here. I really struggle with people who want to be the center of attention. I have a hard time with those people. The people who want everyone to laugh at them, the people that want to be like, be surrounded by all these people. And like, I really struggle with those people. You know why? Because it's me. I want to be that person. I want to be the center of attention. I want everyone laughing with me and doing that. I want people surrounding me. And so those people bug me because it's something about myself that I don't like. I get annoyed with people who are super competitive playing games. Why? Because I'm super competitive playing games. And it's something about me that I don't like. And so I feel judgmental towards other people. And we start to play this out. Think about it. Like, who has the tendency to be more judgmental towards musicians? Other musicians. Who, who, who as, a, as a parent, who are we more critical of? Other parents. As a preacher, who am I more critical of? Other preachers. As whatever you are, fill in the blank. Like, what are you more critical of? It's the people that are like, like us. And so what Jesus is saying here is the first thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that we are checking, we're checking ourselves. We are making sure that we are looking at me, looking in the mirror, making sure what is it in me and make sure that's dealt with. Because we want to make sure that we are coming along someone out of love. We don't want to just call someone out because, you know, I'm a, little, I'm a little down in the dumps today and it'll make me feel a whole lot better if I humiliate this person. 
Or, or we don't want to call someone out because you're like, I've been struggling with this sin in my own life. And so if I point it out in you, it'll make me feel better about my sin. It's not what we want to do. And so is it, is it this deep-seated love for this person? Is that the reason that we're doing this? And here's another question that I want us to make sure that we ask. Is, is judgment a two-way street? Is judgment a two-way street? Is this person that I'm going to call out, is this person that I'm going to walk alongside and tell, hey, this is some issues that I see in your life. Do they have the same willingness, the same ability to do that in your life? If they come alongside you, how are you going to respond? How are you going to, how are you going to react? Because if that person doesn't have that, willing, or that ability to speak truth into your life, then maybe, just maybe, there's a lack of love that's going on in our hearts. And maybe there's a lack of love for that person that we truly, we, we, we need to deal with first. And this is, the, this is the speck, right? This is the law. This is the thing that we've got to deal with first. And so does this person, do they have the same privilege that, that I, that I do they afford, am I affording them the same privilege that they're affording me? So Jesus is teaching first, we look at ourselves, we examine our own motives, we make sure that our heart is right. And then in verse five, four, he goes on to say, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your own eye when you can't see, or in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? And it's real easy. It's real easy for me to point out someone's faults and walk away. It doesn't require, require me to get involved. It doesn't require me to be a little stressed out or, or emotionally connected to the situation. It's real easy to do that. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not the way it works. It's not the way that we're going to do this. We are not going to just sit there and have these big logs in our own eyes where we have no intention of dealing with our own stuff. And so Jesus isn't saying like we have to be perfect before we can walk with someone through the issue. If that's the case, none of us are going to be any help to anybody, right? We're not going to be able to help anyone because none of us are perfect. But what Jesus is getting at is like, don't go calling out sins in other people's lives when you have no intention of dealing with the sins in your own life. Don't go calling out and pointing out the, the flaws in other people's hearts when you have no intention of having your flaws exposed, when you have no intention of dealing with what you have going on in your own life. This is what Jesus is getting at for us. And he says, because when we do that, what happens is Jesus calls us a hypocrite. Verse five, it says this, Jesus says, you hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And so this word hypocrite, it would have came from, from the ancient theater in that day. So what a hypocrite was, is they were an actor who would have gone to the theater and they literally would have worn a mask to play different roles. So at one point, maybe they're like, Thanos or something, and they go and they put on the mask, and then they're going to be Captain America because they can't find enough actors, and they put on a mask to look like that person. That, that's a hypocrite. And so Jesus is saying, when we, when we want to point out sins in other people, and we have no intention of dealing with the sins in our own lives, that makes us a hypocrite. It's really easy to point out the issues in other people when we don't have issues in our own life. And maybe sometimes, like when we respond, we'll respond angrily at the person who calls us out. I've done that. But the reality is, like, we all have issues. And so we got to make sure, like, are we willing to deal with our own stuff? Are we willing to deal with our own sin when we begin to address these issues with one another? And I think it's important for us as we begin to look at the life of Jesus, 
the harshest that Jesus was was to people who were self-righteous, the people who thought they had their act together, the people who pretended to act like they had everything together. These were the people that Jesus was the most harsh and hard on. The notorious sinners, they found themselves very comfortable around Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus always spoke truth into their lives. Jesus didn't tell the woman at the well, oh, great, you're living with a man you're not married with. Cool, keep it up. You're doing great. Like, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't see the prostitutes and say, hey, keep up the good work. Like, no, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus calls them to a better life. He often says, go and leave your life of sin because there's something so much more and something so much greater that Jesus is offering. So in our hearts, when we're calling people, when we're judging one another, is that our motive? Is that we want them to experience the good life that Jesus has to offer? Do we want them to experience the life, the fullness that Jesus has for them? Because if that's true, man, it is one of the best things that we can do to walk alongside someone and help point them to the fullness, to the goodness of the life that Jesus has for us. And so we make sure we examine our motives, we look at our own selves, make sure that our hearts are right. And then we, we lovingly judge each other. Notice that Jesus says this in verse five. I don't want you to miss the then, all right? So in verse five, again, it says, First, get rid of the own log, the log in your own eye. Then you will see clearly to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to point these things out to one another. He wants us to help one another along the way. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, get rid of the log in your eye and walk away. No, he's saying, then you are going to be able to deal with this. Because the truth is, if we don't deal with our sin, it becomes a big blinding plank. If we don't deal with our sin, it becomes a big blinding plank. If it is just there in our eyes, it is going to keep us from seeing some things clearly. And here's the reality. There's just, just, we're going to pick on one sin topic for just a second. There's a ton of research done on, on the sin of pornography and about the way that pornography rewires the brain. And it keeps you from being the people that you were created to be. It keeps you from being able to see people the way that God sees them. It, it, it distorts you. And that's just one topic. I think all of us can attest to a sin issue in our life that distorts the way that we see the world. Because that's what sin does, right? And if we don't deal with it, it's going to become this huge, big, blinding plank. It's going to come to this thing where we don't see our faults. We don't want anyone else to see our faults. And we are just going to continue to walk in these things. And so if we live with this only God can judge me mindset, we are going to be walking with this big plank in front of our face, hoping to be able to walk around correctly. Just yesterday, we were, we were in the city and, and my girls, they, they have this problem of walking in front of people and like stopping and doing all these things. And so I'm trying to teach them, hey, we need to be a little observant. When we're observant, when we're walking around, like look around, see what's going on. And so we'll have that conversation. And the next thing I know, they're looking around and then all of a sudden they're walking like this. I was like, sweetie, not gonna work. You're not gonna be able to look around if you're looking at the ground. And the same thing is true with us. We're not gonna be able to see clearly if we've got the sin issue in our lives blinding us from the realities of what's going on. Because the truth is, we all have some blind spots in our lives, right? Think about driving in a car. There's some areas in a car that you just can't see. There's a reason there's side view mirrors on a car. There's a reason there's a rear view mirror in a car. There's a reason that you're supposed to look over your shoulder when you change lanes. 
supposed to. I'm, we maybe all don't do that, but you're supposed to. Why? Because there's an area, like this one little spot that we can't see. Here's the reality, is every single one of us has that blind spot in our lives. Every single one of us has one of those moments. And we need some people to come alongside us who can check the blind spot, to be the blind spot indicator for us. In our community group last week, we were walking through Psalm 19. And one of the things David talks about, and he's asking God to reveal to him is any hidden sins that he has in his life. Because we all have those. Maybe we have these things that we don't know that we struggle with, these things that we don't understand, and we need people <coughs> to lovingly come alongside us and help point those blind spots out before we end up in the ditch before we end up in a high-speed collision, before there's some damage that can't be undone. We need some people to come alongside us. As we walk through the book of Titus, it's a really interesting book. Paul is writing to this young leader, Titus, and one of the, in the, in the church that, that Titus is pastoring, like, it's a mess. Most of, Stephen said this last week, most of Paul's letters are written to churches that are a mess. Some of them are in good shape, but they're churches, right? We all, we all get in a mess. And Titus is one of those moments in books he's writing. And they're, they're sinful people. They're following false prophets who are lying. They're lazy gluttons and they're downright evil. There's a lot of crazy, stu crazy stuff going on when Paul writes this letter. But I think this statement is really important. In Titus 1.13, he writes to these people, he says, Rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in the faith. Rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in the faith. Notice Paul doesn't say, hey, their sins are their sins. That's their issue. Only God can judge them. Good luck. That's not what he says. No, he says, rebuke them sharply. Now, notice, Paul doesn't say, rebuke them rudely. It's not rudely. It's sharply. That's the statement here. Like when a parent rebukes a child sharply who's about to drink paint thinner, no one's going to be like, well, that was unkind. No, like that's not the way we're going to do it. And so this is what Paul is saying. Hey, rebuke people sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. It's not so that I feel better about myself. It's not so that now I can have a little bit of a more ego trip. It's not so that, you know, I, so that like you're humiliated. No, it's, feel, it's rebuke them sharply so that they should, can be sound in the faith. So as we think about this again, do we really want God at the end of the day to be the only one to, to judge us? Or would it be really, really nice if we have somebody who comes alongside us, puts an arm around us, and helps disciple us, helps us to walk in the way of Jesus, helps us to live the way that Jesus wants us to live. Because here's the reality, this all comes down to our view of sin. And we talked a lot about this in our Portraits of a Revolution series. Is all, if all that we think of sin is just the, oops, I did it again. That's funny. Britney Spears quote, I mean, man, Tupac and Britney Spears in the same sermon? Like, that just came out. Like, this oops... <laughs> That was bad. Shouldn't do that again. Like, if that's all that we think of sin, then sure. No one can judge me. But if sin truly is a force, if sin really does distort us, if sin really does make our lives not right with God, with other people, with ourselves, and with the world, if sin really does what the Bible says sin does, which wants to completely and utterly destroy you, 
then man, I hope there's some people who are going to come alongside us and judge us and help us along the way. Because man, just think about this for you. Think about the people that you love. Do you want their lives to be completely destroyed and ruined by sin? Do you want them dealing with the consequences of the sinful actions that they may be taking part in? Is that what you want for them? Of course it's not. Why? You love them. And so, here's what I believe. is One of the most hateful things that we could do for one another is not judge in the way that we're talking. One of the most hateful things that we can do for one another is not come alongside someone, wrap our arms around them, and be like, hey, I see your life heading this direction, and I love you too much to see you ruin your life. And this is what I see, and this is what I want to help you with, and let's walk with this together. I just want to quote Bonhoeffer back to you again. Quoted this last week, but once again, there's a reason I put this sermon after the one from last week. Bonhoeffer writes this. He says, Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns one another to sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than a severe rebuke that calls another brother back in the path of sin. Man, we got to love each other enough to walk alongside each other, to wrap our arms around one another and be like, hey, let me help you here. Let me help you on this. And so as we get ready to move into a time of communion, uh, or we're going to, sorry, move into a time of of worship and a time of confession, we're going to get ready to get there. But before we do, I just want us to think about, maybe we've heard the word preached today. Maybe there's some sort of response that needs to happen. There's some decisions, some things that we need to do. Maybe, maybe for you, one of the things that you need to do is you need to go have a hard conversation with someone that you judged because you had the wrong motives. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe today, you know there's some things in your life, you know there's some issues and you need some help with them. So maybe today, that's what you need. Is you need to, at the end of the service, when we have a time of prayer, is you need to come up and you need to ask for prayer because there are some things in your life, there are some blind spots, there are some issues in your life and some ways that you are heading that is heading to the disaster area and the danger area. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe today you don't need someone to come alongside and judge you because you know, you know the sin issue in your life and you just haven't wanted to deal with it. Maybe today is the day that you do. It's the moment that you say, today enough's enough. Let's make this right And so we're going to pray a prayer of confession together. But maybe for you, maybe it's not just a corporate confession that you need to make. Maybe you need to go to someone and ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to find someone in the room and just confess this to them so that they can walk with you along with you in this moment. I don't know what it is, what those moments may be, but here's what I know. Because I love you. Man, I want our lives to look like that of Jesus. I want us to walk the way of Jesus together. I want our lives to look more like Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll pray this prayer of confession with one another. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that that you've given us the, the responsibility as your followers, God, to come alongside each other. And Lord, I just pray that we do this in the way that is God honoring God, if there's something in us, help us to pick up the mirror and see what that is and we can deal with our sin, not, be, not just have this willingness to forget about it, but truly want to deal with that. And Lord, if there's, there's some of us in this room right now that there's some sin, 
there's some issues that's not really a blind spot. It's just a, I'm going to do it anyway. And Lord, I just pray that today is the day that that's, that that's done. Pray that today is the day where we truly live in this, this way that you want for us. God, you want this life to the full for each of us. So God, help us today to have the courage to, to repent, to turn from that, to confess our sin so that we can be free, so we can be healed, and that our lives can truly reflect that of your son, Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.